Hello and welcome to another episode of Beardy and the Geek. A very special episode because this is our first ever public, and possibly last, public face-to-face -face panel interview with a number of comic creators. I am shortly going to hand this dictaphone to the fellows who are here. Uh, but first I'm going to hand it to my friend Ryan from Geek of Oz. One moment. Today we are lovingly in the presence of Christian Reed from Eldritch Kid, Nicholas Scott from Torn, and Andrew Constant from Torn as well. Gang signs. Gang signs all around for everyone. Apologies because this intro was recorded after the fact, at which point we're all well along our way. On to Christian Reed who will welcome you accordingly. Good evening. Christian Reed, ladies and gentlemen, give the man a hand. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Nicholas Scott. Good evening. I am Andrew Constant, all-round great guy and drinker extraordinaire. Yes, I also write Torn, and it's a few jugs in, ladies and gentlemen, for a very long session. And we have been talking about horror. Please enjoy, and don't get too disturbed. So, I mean, horror is something which is quite uh, straightforward in a way. You know, you set up the premise and then you just punch through with the shock. And that's why it's so popular in films, so it's so popular in short fiction and so in comics. Because you're so visual as well as being able to tell a story. And it's something you've all done. So, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what, you, what inspired you to work in this genre and then maybe how it's affected your own work, examples of it in your own work. Um, so, Christian, we've already spoken to you about Eldritch Kid, and uh, what I love about Eldritch Kid is that it's a frontier novel, so you're walking into this unknown, but you introduce monsters and craziness and the world gone mad as well, so that's quite horrific. Um, but Andrew and Nicola here, they've taken the idea of the werewolf and turned it on its head, mm. and sort of messed with our expectations. Inversion of the werewolf! It's a great catch. Um, when you wrote a story about an upside down werewolf. I know, right? <laughs> walks around his hands all the time, that's all he does. <laughs> He's a whale that just walks, he once was an acrobat and then he got bit and now he just walks around his hands. Um, why we? Why did I write mm. about a werewolf in that werewolf? Um, I was, honestly, it was because I was reading a lot of, um, well, different forms of werewolf fiction at the time. I wasn't, I wasn't really enjoying much of it at all because it was all about the fact that he's a werewolf and that makes him bad like the wolf inside of him is the issue like it's the whole idea that the human's fine but when you unleash the animal blah 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 and mm -hmm. I was like well that's being done to death and it's been done over and over and over again what about if the issue wasn't wasn't the wolf but if the issue was the man mm -hmm. if the man was the disease and then um, I wrote a short little eight page on that with and Nick was kind enough to draw it for me and then I extended it out and just and it was literally just seeing where it went mm. like after I wrote one issue saw where it went wrote the second one and just you know mm. basically it was just it, I just got sick of reading the same wheel of stories all the time mm. yeah so your idea was the man is the monster instead of the monster well it's to a degree like the idea of the story was about like what happens to your identity when what you know yourself as being take, taken away. Mm. That was the premise when I started writing it there. 
and it's just it just seemed like a very and I enjoy like I enjoy genre fiction as well I enjoy horror as well and I didn't want to write anything too like full on and heavy there basically so the idea of a wolf as a man seemed really basic to me I said oh well it's never been done before clearly it has but I hadn't seen it <laughs> yeah. so yeah it just it just gave me a, a nice little format a nice, a nice little bunch of parameters though to try and just ask that question what happens when your own identity gets taken away what do you do to rediscover yourself and you mm. know that was the central premise the central question there basically have you ever seen that Joe Dante film The Howling Werewolves and Group Therapy best werewolf movie ever I know <laughs> Artie's mom on camera turns into a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen half of it, but it's I like the second one with Sybil Danning. That's my favorite. the third one, the Marsupials. <laughs> yeah, even know about the Frank Thring is a werewolf genius. I, I, I saw part of it, but no, not really. Like I, I haven't really seen that many. Have I seen that many werewolf films? I always. When someone puts a microphone in front of me, I forget what my name is. American Wolf in London. Yeah, yeah, there's... Teen Wolf? Does that count? <laughs> Shit, everyone just jump in. Come on, tell me how will I know. Come on, everyone bombs, drop bombs. Um, I have seen a lot of... I have seen a few werewolf films. I think the one which sticks with me the most is Wolf. Jack um, Nicholson. Yeah, Jack yeah. Nicholson. I really, really like that film. I actually think it's really, really cool. It's a sexy Yeah, and it's not really... And the Wolf was an aspect was a horror there. The real horror is the humanity. Mm. And I think that's what I mostly from that film is that whilst the wolf gives this nice little form to make it you know less confrontational there the whole horror is always the humanity mm. and that's why I'm running a story right now where once again the horror is the humanity as well so the nat- natural just gives it a vehicle mm. gives it like a like you know a way for the horror to actually flow mm. uh, I mean that's what impressed me about Torn as well it's sort of like it did invert our expectations as well, but there was a real heart to it. So it's a story. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a love story. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in Nick Cage draws a very beautiful man, so that yes. was, <laughs> that helps. Yeah, mm. that's sort of the appeal for people, I think. But I'm dreaming for a couple of panels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that really set up the whole feel of the book. Though. Yes, he's the moody cover as well. Yeah, that cover is fucking brilliant. Like, I couldn't imagine that cover. You said, well, I'm just going to draw a cover. Went, cool, thanks. And I said, went, okay, I will never give directions on art ever again because I would never have imagined something like that. Speaking of the cover, though, Gestalt have done, on all of their books, they've done a great job with the binding. I mean, the covers themselves are up there with, you know, I, I'm going to definitely say that they're better than Marvel's and, and DC uh, graphic novels that are putting out. Yeah, let's just get the dig into the American story. <laughs> No, well, they're, no, they're, they're interesting. They're <laughs> interesting covers. They, they look are. like artwork rather than interior. Yeah. You know, my yeah. my big beef with doing covers is is that they tend to look like interior splash pages. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just with a logo. Really boring. I yeah. loved your um, Secret Six covers. I always loved those. Uh, well, what you got from Secret Six was was generally the the most tame of the ideas that we threw. <laughs> you know, that was probably the first mainstream bordering on had horror themes sort of sewn throughout it but it generally tended to be a pretty funny book and uh, with each issue that would come along Gail and I would sort of start spitballing all of these ideas and guarantee they'd all be funny they were all just you know Gail's sense of humour and and me sort of trying to uh, elevate the the the, um, or the subversive shit and um and we would just get the knock back time after time. I think the, the, the first one that we sort of 
that we got what we wanted was the ice cream truck cover. <laughs> and then after that, because that was, that was totally stupid, right? But it was meant to be stupid. It was meant to be really ridiculous. And every cover idea that we did after that, they wouldn't allow us to, to continue with the company theme. They wanted it to be Wolverine covers. Yeah. And we were like, if you read the inside of the book, it's not Wolverine. It's, mm. it's the most ridiculous book you've got. Let us do really stupid covers. And like some, some good things came out of it. Um, in the in the process of coming up with a cover for our Battle for the Cow tie-in issue, which could have been a really could have been really ridiculous, but they they allowed us to have a Battle of the Cow uh, issue, tie-in issue. Um, when we were coming up with ideas for that, it was uh, throwing around uh, uh, really iconic Batman images and, and riffing off that, sort of, you know, replacing the, the Batman character with Catman. Mm. And uh, my husband came up with this idea of, uh, why don't you use one of those ones from Dark Knight Returns, where uh, it's, it's he and Robin jumping over the rooftops with the lightning bolt striking through and put Ragdoll in the Robin outfit. And I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. So I drew it up and I sent it into editorial and to Gail and they loved it, but they wouldn't let us do it. And I was like, that's the dumbest yeah. thing ever. Ah. And Gail said, The And Gail said, don't worry, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write Ragdoll into the issue. Cause originally the issue was just gonna be Catman and Bane. Yeah. And it was gonna be a really dark, serious issue. Is this the one where as they... As soon as you stick Ragdoll in a, in a Robin outfit, it's mm. fucking comedy gold. Is this the one where they're running around doing good deeds and rescuing... Yeah, yep. good deeds by killing people. Oh, yeah. that issue. And, um, and that ended up being uh, a lot of people, including some of the senior editorial, that ended up being their favourite tie-in issue for Battle of the Cow. And I was like, yeah, because it's funny. Let us do the funny. And uh, the, I eventually stopped doing covers for Secret Six because they just wouldn't approve anything, nearly. I always remember the scene that I liked the most in that was, um, what's his face, Bane. Bane. He's getting tortured. <laughs> that, the crazy naked surgery victim is just chucking bricks at him <laughs> to torture him. It's for a whole issue. Which just is hurling bricks at Bane. Both hilarious and you just, ow! Stop! <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't stop. Yeah, no. like, it's not like just, it's not just one page. You check back in. Yeah. It's, it's, a whole it's a whole issue. He eventually it. bites into one of the one of the Tweedledum twins. I've forgotten what they were called now. Uh, I love that comic book. I was, okay. When I sat down, I was thinking about this theme, like, what do I talk to you folks about? Uh, so Nicholas Gunn's coming, so what do I ask Nicholas Gunn? I said, Junior. Junior is bloody terrifying. <laughs> Junior's probably the, the most horror-based character I've done in the DCU. Because um, leading, leading up to working at DC, sort of having decided to get into comic books and thinking all I'd be doing is drawing female superhero characters swinging around, um, I ended up, you know, spending my first four or five years drawing horror and sci-fi books, which I wasn't expecting at all, because I didn't really sort of have any experience with horror and sci-fi. But uh, my first sort of big gig was drawing some horror, vampire versus werewolves, palaver, and uh, did some Halloween Man after that. Halloween Man was sort of like a, a comedy, horror, sci-fi kitschy number which was always great fun but it's a good comic that one actually yeah it was and pretty fun right he's uh, really 
Fabulous design, really well done kind of a, a horror superhero. Drew Edwards, yeah, I think so too. I, I loved that book and I, I, it's one of those, every now and then you sort of find yourself working on something and I, I, it's just like, oh my God, if I could pay, be paid to draw this forever, I'd be happy because it was, it was funny and it was poignant and it was silly and it was sexy and it was all the things that you could hope to be. And that's kind of what Secret Six ended up being. You know, that when Gail and I started working on that, that was the exact thing. It's like, let's make it as violent, as sexy, as all these things as we could possibly be. And because it was D-list, we had no one in senior editorial breathing down our necks. We kind of left to our own devices to a great degree. And when it came to Junior, uh, you know, Gail had said to me from the very beginning that this is the villain. We're not going to see him until, you know, right towards the end. But it's going to be, you know, Ragdoll's sibling and has to be the scariest horror freak show that we've seen. So I had sort of quite a few issues to let it develop. And it wasn't until I got the script for the issue where Junior's finally revealed on the last page that I found out that Junior was a girl. <laughs> and so when I read the script for that, I was rolling around laughing. I had to to say, that's hilarious and brilliant and good on you had a lot of fun getting to design her so I sort of had had the opportunity to let the idea marinate for a long time mm. and I'm then in the execution no idea how far I could go but it was just like let's see how far I can go and if they tell me to fix something then I'll fix something but they didn't mm. yeah. if anything they just stuck a big speech bubble over where a droopy boob was I only, <laughs> I only read one comic blogger and he did the best review ever it was just one sentence I always wanted more nudity in the DC universe but not like this <laughs> <laughs> not like this <laughs> yeah, so, uh, this is an Australian thing but I love Gail Simone oh, mm. yeah. I think she's like right up there she partially plays. because she does do those B-list C-list D-list characters mm. so well and I'm sure a part of that is because she gets a lot more free reign you yeah. know you can't do the shit that she does with Batman or Robin or anything like that. They just won't allow it. Yeah. But man, she's just, she's yeah. selling us. One of Gail's real strengths as a writer is that she writes a lot of um, very sort of, there's a lot of subtext to everything. And because it's, it's, it's sort of hidden and woven in, unless she has an artist that will spot it and elevate it so that people know that it's there rather than wish that it was there. Mm. Um, you don't really see it terribly well, and I think that's why she and I like working together so well, because I see subtext in everything. Um, and, you know, sometimes I have a hard time keeping it down when it's when it shouldn't be revealing itself. I like to sort of, you know, make it front and centre, and so that was one of the, the great joys of Secret Six, was that she could really go for gold in, yeah. in whatever kind of bullshit she wanted to do, and it was really great fun sort of spotting it in the script and making fun with it. I'd like to put this out there because back in the, let's say, let's talk about the 80s or so, um, you had horror comics, you had specifically horror comics, yeah. and you had weird comics, supernatural comics. I remember when I was a kid, the one that used to always bug me was the Knights of Pendragon, which is a sort of British yeah, yeah. mystical supernatural. Bond. Yeah, that was very odd. Um, no, no I think Boland did the covers. Yes. Um, is that, this isn't Arthur 3000. No, 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 no. This is Marvel book. Well, I've never That's a Pendragon was a weird little Marvel UK back when Marvel oh, had its yeah, own yeah, yeah, independent yeah, 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 office yeah, yeah. In, in Britain. 
I remember reading their translations. You could get them over here every now and then, just in that yeah, random yeah. news agent. Yeah, you get yeah. the um, oversized and the yeah, yeah, yeah. oversized styles, we call it. That one spooked you out, didn't it? Well, in the UK, they used to mm. sell it in the children's section of the news agents. <laughs> Right, and because they, they're yeah, these large format comic book magazines, because American comics are yeah. specifically small. Right, yeah. that's yeah. how you knew they're American. Pam, Pam would sell. Whereas the um, UK editions were always large. Yeah. So we had this sort of subversal of books getting put in on the children's books, and <laughs> little Emmett picking them up in 1988, <laughs> oh. taking over. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? And the rest is history. What is that thing? Whereas what I what I found now is those disturbing images. And those disturbing themes are not specific to horror anymore. They've been sublimated into superhero comics. Yeah. And now superhero comics are, have become disturbing for the sake of just assimilated mm, yeah. it. Now I think a lot of my complete lack of interest in modern superheroes yeah. is because they're essentially horror comics. Everyone's getting their head popped off. Yep. You know, like Doctor Doom eating an eight-year-old girl's fingers. I don't no. really know what's going on. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but that needs to be done. Say. No, but they, 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 they've taken the most superficial read on what a horror comic is. They've Did taken, Joe his face yeah, but, beaten off but and that's not done with a belt? That's but that's not horrific. supposed to be a horror <laughs> But image. that's not horrific. It's just All I can gruesome. think is what happens if the cat gets a like, saw. Yeah, it's They're just, doing the saw thing. Yeah, it's not, that's it's not horror imagery, though. It's, it's, yeah. I know, I agree. It's horror imagery, but it's not horrific. It's is not it effective? It's not attacking the humanity, of, yeah. which to me is what makes horror truly horror when you attack someone at their core beliefs. Hmm. You attack the, the integrity of the person. Your core belief. belief is having a face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue. How do I argue with that? I can't argue with that. My core belief is that. But, look, you I get what you're to, saying, though. You have you... to attack. If you want to attack things visually, that's fine. If you want to make horror visual, it should be. But at the same time, you can't eliminate the aspect which is truly frightening. That's taking away what you believe in or what you hold dear, like the integrity of the human belief. And if you take that, that, that away, that's when things become yeah, really Yeah, you could tell that story not as a, not as a horror story. I agree, yeah. 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 You could tell a horror story that's not about human belief. Yeah. Mm. No, it's true. But when I was young, when I was a little kid, as a, a second-hand bookshop, uh, they used to have these old reprints of the 1950s horror comics mm. and uh, big oversized things. That's what I read. That's the oh. first comics I remember reading. They were uh, what turned out to be um, stuff like Sergeant Rock mm. and these big old reprints where you get about 15 stories in black and white. Uh-huh. And there was stuff like, uh, you know, swamp monsters, werewolves, uh, all that great creepy stuff. And, you know, I was terrified of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're in the bedroom, my hands out. <laughs> oh, God. Don't turn the page. Ah, oh, Jesus! <laughs> and um, certainly, my earliest uh, my earliest comic memories are of war comics and horror comics. Yeah. And um, I still remember to this day three particular stories very, very well that have remained with me as kind of like uh, guides on how to be scary. Um, you know, and the classic sort of ten page twist ending jobs. Yeah. You know, like how comics should be. And um, I think that's always informed my mm. my trying to write scary is just uh, those very early childhood memories of, of what scared me and why. And uh, I, I can't imagine that will stop informing my work anytime soon. I loved your story in uh, Finch, where you were talking about Lovecraft mm. and sort of what you've inherited. So, Lovecraft. Lovecraft, yes. Yeah. 
Oh, the little autobiography story? Yeah, up, How up beautiful was that? That was really nice. Yeah. Up, up until I read Eldritch Kid, that was actually my favourite one of your works. Yeah. yeah. I wrote, I wrote two short stories. I wrote one about... I was in hospital when I was a little kid, and I wrote a story about that, and then I wrote a story about my relationship to Lovecraft, who is... Who's it? You know, he's everything. Um, is he? Is he your guy? He's my spirit guy. <laughs> chakra, chakra, yeah. chakra, Snoopy, chakra, chakra, New England fellow. Yeah, Here's at the end of your bed. Today, Christian, you'll be writing. Says something racist and leave. <laughs> what? Doesn't also mention, also mention his cousin as well. Is that part of the Lovecraft and deal? But uh, and yeah, I mean the the, the Nightcraft story is kind of mm. very specifically about what's the most depressing thing possible mm. which is nothing yeah. just absolutely n- you know all this fiction that has yeah. enriched my life uh, all these emotions that have enriched my life and then I imagine most people reading that story as well mm. taking that away from them mm. that's that was to me that's kind of I wouldn't want to say horror but it's certainly abject it's it's what Andrew's comment there before reminded me of it. He's when you need a principle, you need something. And you're in that story, you're talking about the idea of, well, this world is not special enough for Lovecraft. Yeah. This world is not special enough for monsters. Now, that's a pretty uh, profound conclusion to come to. Yeah. And Jeez. a wee bit depressing. <laughs> well, it was certainly depressing. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, to me, that's the kind of horror yeah. that I that I really respond to yeah. is not, you know, like let's type a teenager and drill through its skull. But that's not, but as we're saying, that's just gruesome. Like, it's not well, I think that's certainly a part of horror. I think. That no, no, it is, but, but you need more than that for it to be horror. No, I don't think so. I think to be, to be good, effective. To be effective. To be oh, okay, to be effective. And to be well, no, 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 it takes something like uh, Hellraiser. I think yeah. Hellbound Heart is yeah. a magnificent story. Mm. And it's based upon that imagery. Uh, there's an old L.A. Lewis story called The Author's Tale, which is like actually weird 1930s torture porn. <laughs> there we go. That's the subject. But that it's, it's based upon you know taking someone's body yeah. and hurting it. Well, why does that work and why some other... I think it's all about context. I yeah. think that if you've got the... Uh, the, the simple notion of just taking someone and hurting yeah. it is a boring and B I find a worrisome who likes that stuff yeah who it's cheap it's just so cheap and so easy yeah you know, okay. like it's context and it's execution it's how yeah. you present but I idea. think that within putting that the, the notion of hurting the body and putting it within a uh, a more supernatural context mm. you can create a different kind of meaning for her. Mm, There's a, yeah. an early Clive Barker, I think it's a student film or something, mm. where it's this bizarre uh, short film, about 15 minutes long, mm. where angels come down, tattoo a guy, and rip off his skin. And it's beautiful. It's a transfiguring experience for this guy. Mm. I might be getting the details of that wrong, but it's very no, aggressive. Okay. Yeah. But suddenly that experience is transformed into an artistic experience. Mm. Whereas if you just had a film called I Rip Your Skin Off, <laughs> you'd click off. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that the modern movement towards torture porn reflects lack of effort. I think even a film like uh, Martyrs, 
which tries very, very hard to uh, to um, create something better out of torture porn. Can't do it. And I think that was a... I don't know, maybe, maybe Antichrist did it. I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to it. But I, I don't think you can easily take Let's Hurt Somebody and make much out of it. Unless you're the Catholic Church. In which case... You get the Jesus movie made, which is just dudes punching Jesus. I watched the. I didn't have seen it. I just clicked into um, what's it? Passion of the Christ. Yeah, 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 Passion of the Christ. I clicked into just when he started to get hammered with the whip, and I said, "Oh, this will be over soon." No. Yeah, it's like forty-five minutes of no, carrying just, the cross up there. Just, just, and just, and just laying, and then, and then they laying in, and they just go and slow mo, and just this raw as. What was his name? What's the guy's name? Jim Cavizio. Cavizio. Yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah. I mean, ultimately, if you if you want to just have that as a movie where a man with a beard is punched in the face and lashed all day, <laughs> it can be. Then we could make one after the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's for private consumption. I don't think it'll get. I don't think it'll get anything less than an X. But, but, it's, it's but if you want to, yeah. if you want to put that into the context yeah. of. Oh, by the way, this is also the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, and anyone who grew up Catholic, anyone who, yeah. who had the church in their life as a mm. as an early part of their life, is very familiar with that kind of gruesome imagery. Yeah. Um, and so it becomes context. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, Cook the Thief, his wife and her lover. Yeah. yeah. In a green way. Oh, he, he's a he's a bloody horror <laughs> movie maker. That's serious. I feel about, yeah. Well, I was thinking when you were talking yeah. about the, the skin thing. That yeah. Hugh McGregor film has yep. the idea of the, yeah. the transformative experience of torture as well. Yes. The babe, the baby of Macron. Yep. Uh, yeah. But the uh, being trans- transported to the seventies all of a sudden, <laughs> which works for <laughs> me because nothing says horror like the seventies. Yeah, honky. <laughs> Did yeah. you just say honky? Yeah. Awesome. But the opening of that film of the Cook the Thief is like whatever. Um, you have this long torture scene. Yep. It's horrific. I yeah. remember seeing it in the cinema years after its release, and people were crying around me. It was really emotional. Whereas you watch The Passion, and that's fine. Greenway is obscene. That is fine, because, we're, as you say, we've accepted it. Yeah. This is mortification of the flesh. We're okay with that. It's really in context, you know. Yeah. And some of the horror images are... You know, profoundly important to our own culture. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, and I think that that the horror is a safe way to experience that. Yeah. That's what. To me, where horror takes place within a supernatural context, yeah. I tend to find it's completely fine. Yeah. But I'm not interested in kind of brutality for its own sake. I don't think that's fine. That's a that's a different genre. I don't even know how to classify that sort of word. They don't classify it as horror. Just call it horror. You just say bad it's horror. Not horror that I like. It's B grade horror. It's Gorm. Gorm. I still, I still remember when I was younger. My this was before we knew what the rating system was in Australia. I went to my mum. Oh, can we get out of that movie? It looks like a really cool movie about futuristic cops. It was Robocop, and I was ten. <laughs> and I got the film home. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. And. Then comes, this, then there comes a scene where Murphy gets annihilated with the gun. And and still this day, because of my experience as a child, that scene will still freak me the fuck out. I think that's one... I think horror is most effective to me is when it's the least expected possible outcome for you. 
If you expect the out- outcome, then it's not going to be horrific Unless it just doesn't become gratuitous. You know, there, there, there are so many horror films these days that are just about shock and revulsion. Mm. Like the Saw films or the Human Centipede films. They're just, you know, yeah. they're, 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 they're conceptually mm. horrifying and I don't want to sit through something that's just that off. Misery is a yeah, horrifying film. that's a film. horrifying like, film. And it's just horrible yeah. because there's that whole thing. It goes through your mind, what if? Imagine yeah. being in that position. Whereas in Saw, it's so ridiculous and it's so ludicrous and it's just there's mm. blood everywhere. Yeah, it's you like, do not have that much blood in your like, body for starters. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the, yeah. But something like Saw, that's like a, a 60s Batman TV show. Yeah. You know, it's there's so much artifice and, so, yeah. and, and ridiculousness that goes into how these people are killed. That there's, you know, some master criminal at the at the end. It's sort of it's comedic how ridiculous it is. Yeah, in what and you're saying that be horrific. That thing when you're a kid, my parents didn't censor me from anything. Yeah. But the one scene that's that still scares the shit out of me today is uh Frankenfurter attacking Eddie with an axe. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yes. It gets really dark there <laughs> for a second. I remember watching that. Yeah. 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 Columbia's screaming yeah. and the music's gone and she's just screaming and you're just like Oh, this but that was. I, I watched that when I was like 12 years old, and once again, I'm enjoying. Opportunity, bless! And it's like fucking brilliant, and then just like fucking the guy in the high solo and everything. Guy, yeah. guy in the high heels comes up and just goes, murder time! And like, and just the the sound of the axe. Yeah, axe, axe, axe. But once again, what we're seeing there is wonderful execution as well. Like, we've seen that, that oh, complete dish. that complete juxtaposition <laughs> where you have the joy of the rock and roll just slashed up right up against the, the brutality and the soundlessness like the whole scene there's no sound except the ah and the axe hitting the fucking just flesh. the wet yeah flesh. just the thumpy 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 um so yeah it's it's once again it's back to great execution and also being completely fucking well you kind of expect it but not like that like I just want to br- point out that you said brilliant execution twice without a smirk on your face <laughs> when yeah. we're talking about someone getting chopped up with an axe. I think that's me being very clinical towards the top topic of um... <laughs> oops <laughs> I think the thing is is that horror is very very broad it's very very broad I think that, mm. that it can encapsulate dread it yeah. can encapsulate gross out gruesomeness oh. Uh, it can encapsulate um, more mundane fears, um, mm. and I think that ultimately, the more uh, the more intellectual and the more emotional it is, the better it is, the yeah. the harder it is to achieve. Mm. Um, something like if you ever read the, the Exorcist novel, mm. is is fairly different in tone from the movie, mm. um, and. It's a, Brilliant, brilliant movie. Still, I rate one of the scariest movies Hollywood ever made. Yeah. But you know, aside from kind of like a few of the vomiting scenes and stuff like that, it's always a scene that always stays with me, where little Reagan sort of tugs on the pants of, a, of an astronaut and says, "You're going to die up there," and that always just chills me to the bone. The way that she says it, the line, and it just—it's—it's it's this little sort of unremarked upon moment in the movie of this. Yeah. This man is going to die. In, in space, in space, which yeah. is pretty much you know the worst. <laughs> it's it's in, lonely and afraid yeah. and cold. Yeah, it's, the most humanly detached. It's yeah. in, interesting you mentioned that director to me, just because I saw his most recent film, Killer Joe. 
Kill the Joe. Yeah, yeah. Kill the Joe. Which, and I want to get back to that eventually, but it's a horror film because the ending is completely gross. Like what happens to the chicken and the family? It's it ends up being a full-on horror film. The chicken. The chicken. The piece of cake. What happened with the chicken? Yeah, what they call it. K fried chicken, K fried C or something like that. And it's it's a completely horrific film. Like it's by the end it's because it's unexpected, it's brilliantly executed, the script is wonderful, it's intelligent. So when you get this horrific horrific moment, you completely buy into it because of everything that's gone before, the wonderful setup. And it's just funny that you mentioned the excess because this throughout his career he's gone back to this horror thing, but completely different delivery. And once again being very effective. Didn't he do bug as well? Yeah, he directed the... They're both based on plays. Was that uh, actually Judd in a Room freaking out? Yeah, look, I haven't seen the film because <laughs> I've only heard bad things, but I did see the play off Broadway in New York. It was fucking amazing. I actually I didn't like the film. amazing. I liked it. Did I you? liked it. I didn't think it was amazing, but I liked it. The play was amazing. Yeah, it's a good script. And there's something to be said, you know, how sweaty and hot and awful it is. And it's really just, you know... Someone tripping balls in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's scary, you know. That's effective, and um, sometimes I think the the most effective horror that you can do is just someone tripping balls. Is just someone <laughs> uh, hurting you know, emotionally, yeah. and that can be some of the most effective horror fiction that there is. I mean, I I guess I would put it to you folks that what you're describing in terms of weak horror is when it's just one thing. So, for example, the torture porn just is about hurting of the flesh, that's all it is. Whereas, in my opinion anyway, and I, I don't know what you folks think, but horror has a lot of room for humour. There's a lot of comedy to be found in some horror. Um, I always think of Dawn of the Dead, and the zombie steps up on a, on a box and a rotor blade chops off the top of his head, and I'm laughing. <laughs> some guy's head just got chopped off. <laughs> you know, the scene with Bane, Secret Six, once again, yeah, with the horrific. But you're, it becomes comedic after a while because he's still there and he's taking it. I think that the yeah horror and comedy go hand in hand just because you're both you know those, those kind of like uh, immediately releasing emotions one way or the other. Yeah, mm. and there, there's a reason why you get the big laughs after the big horror scene. Mm. Um, I think there's a reason why uh, queer literature is so embraced horror fiction is because they're so used to mixing uh, within the high comedy in every uh, scenario and I think that's really really important early John Landis before he became irrelevant <laughs> um, <laughs> all that sort of the early zombie movies stuff yeah. like that um, is it Cannibal Holocaust where it's zombie versus mm. rubbish shark in the surf zombie 2 <laughs> zombie 2 my mistake zombie versus shark <laughs> yeah. awesome that's <laughs> fucking hilarious it is one you of make a movie out if of that. you watch the scene again you notice the zombies wearing a wetsuit underneath his racks <laughs> it, are you kidding? I'm not. It's oh. impossible to find, but Blood Diner was another one that I saw when I was about five or six or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, cannot find it anywhere. And an absolutely woeful movie about some brothers who uh, take over the family business of a diner. And it turns out the secret to this great food that everyone's clamoring to get is that it's people. Mm, so so things as though the, the mm. fish fingers are people fingers and uh, stuff like that. But <laughs> there's one scene in particular which is absolutely woeful filmmaking but hilarious on looking back is where a detective has both his hands cut off 
and he's driving a car away from the scene with blood squirting out onto the windscreen. Yet when he turns on the windscreen wipers, it wipes it off. So, so the blood's on the outside the blood, yeah, off, even somehow. though he's on the inside, that's somehow. hilarious. But, and like you say, the, the two, because they're such immediate emotions, I think you actually see that in, just with humans in general, yeah. a lot of the time, you know, if, you, if you've got any mates that are police officers or ambulance officers or something like that, it's just a way of dealing with Galaxy, this, right? yeah. you know, because you, you laugh at these things and you go to a particularly horror, horrific deceased or something like that you end up laughing about it because it's either that or you go have a bath with some razor blades you know and I think that's that's like with horror that's as well next story, there's an image yeah it's a great like it's a great balance because you can only have so much horror if you don't have a, at least a slight yeah. element of humour it also it's you, depressing you just, you just can't hold that note the entire time you just yeah. can't keep on escalating and just expect the audience to come along with you as well you've got to but, you know, just give them the breath and start somewhere new occasionally and comedy does a way to do that Jaws is hilarious mm-hmm. that has some uh, brilliant moments of comedy that have just ingrained itself we're going to need a bigger boat it's golden mm. yeah yeah. <laughs> and that's one scary fucking movie ah, Jaws is perfect. one of the few perfect movies ever made I think yeah, there's no yeah, bad scenes yeah. all good scenes yeah okay. um, within my own work I try to do it with how characters talk to each other um I'm just kidding, maybe not a good example because both no, of these I characters are, are actually quite immune. But so I was just going to say, sorry, the scene with the pioneers, yeah. when they're constantly mocking yeah. and she was dancing, and there's a sort of building resentment towards them, and then we have the moment at the end. Yep. There's actually, there's actually a lot of, co- I found a lot of comedy in your work, but it was nice, subtle comedy. It was just like, what? You want me to do, <laughs> say, please? What the hell are you talking about? You saved it your lives. It wasn't broad comedy, but what it was, was a, the, the, the humor was in the, the action was yeah. in the humanity. Um, yeah, I try to, I try to put the, the humorous moments within characters. I don't know how to make situational comedy. I don't know how to do like, oh, and then a bucket fell on his hand. <laughs> oh, rake, bang. Oh, Ryan thought the comedy beat was just wah, wah, wah. Exhausting. Yeah. I don't know. People can do it. I hate that comedy. But, but. But it's so, but, but you always see people making that sort of comedy. They always look so tortured making this. Like, okay, we're trying to do comedy. Oh, get it right. Like, it's so timing specific and trying to, is this what we're going to, it looked but, exhausting. But yeah, um, so, for me, it's like it's a way to both underscore the horror and not to make yourself look faintly ridiculous. Um, remember back in the 80s and 90s, there was a splatterpunk movement in horror, mm-hmm. which is what happened is that everything was humorless and extreme, and uh, there was a great, there was a great anthology called Splatterpunk, which had a few good stories. Uh, Joe Lansdale. Joe Lansdale had a good one. Oh, yes. uh, who's of course the master of, of uh, uh, Chucking the Gothic kind yep. of stuff. Yeah. Chucking the Chucking the comedy as well. I mean, Baba Hotep. Story. Yeah. The movie. I mean, you know. Um, I think that the Spotify movement didn't survive because it wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> because it was just like I always remember. I read this ludicrous story about. Uh, lesbian embryo eating vampires. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. And taken extremely po faced and like feminist horror. You know? 
You've got a scene where a woman literally eats the embryo out of her pregnant girlfriend with her vampire three foot long tongue. And you haven't played that up for laughs. Yeah, that's haven't, funny. You haven't even acknowledged that this, in fact, might not be a horrifying image and is, in fact, faintly ludicrous. So stuff like that, that, that died because you, mm. you can't have a scene like that without acknowledging it's a bit silly. Mm. Um, but take it, take something like a American a World London or Bubba Hotep mm. or any of these things, mm. uh, which aren't really horror comedies, but mm. uh, sometimes comedic horrors. And that, that amps it up, mm. that, that uh, keeps you invested in the scene. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that I want, you know, like Abbott and Costello meet the mummy every, you know. Uh, but, but I think you're right. I think that the the juxtaposition makes both elements of the work better. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my favorite horror runs in comics is Swamp Thing, Alan Moore, and yet there is so much comedy in that, yeah. but also horrific. Speaking horrific about childhood experiences. One of the first, when I was starting to read comics as a kid, one of the first things I did was so just going down the news agency and buying lots of comics and bought the Batman Ratcatcher one, which was my favourite comic book of my youth. Anyway, and I picked up a Swamp Thing issue, not knowing what it was. And it was the issue where Swamp Thing finally has relationships with his woman of the time the magic oh. group <laughs> yeah. and he gets busy and I'm reading that as a kid just yeah. going yeah. what's the appropriate white sweat reaction to this people what am I and to me that's still one of the because I remember as a child that's a horror scene and I know it's not it's it's a scene of love and compassion and togetherness and transcending yeah but it is about a woman doing a tree yeah <laughs> like Fucking, ladies and gentlemen yeah. Alan Moore Alan no, no. But to me, that's it's, it's amazing what sticks with you from your childhood. What images define horror from you from when you're young, younger? You mentioned clowns to some people, and just I've never understood clown phobia. They're stupid. Tim yeah. Curry, Pennywise. No, <laughs> it's not scary. Know. Yeah, it's never scary in the pocket running. Not like, scary in the like, yeah. I mean, I, I like the novel. It. I like the miniseries. I've never understood oh, clowns. Who's like, scared of clowns? Oh, I don't know. Some clowns it's are scary. It's a dude who f- couldn't get in a nighter. The clown, the clown toy in Poltergeist was fucking scary. Mm. Oh yeah, I'll give you That's that. That's a scary clown. Mm. There's an essay mm. I read. Uh, is this yeah, it's a toy or a clown? Where the fellow describes the circumstances for you. Okay, you wake up in the middle of the night. There's a storm outside. Mm. It's loud. You hear the rain sleeting against your window, and then there's a knocking at the door. And you get up and you put on your robe and you walk down the steps and you come. There's a figure outside your door. You can see them clearly, and uh, knocking insistently at the door. And you open, and there's a clown on your doorstep. And his makeup is running. <laughs> and I'm like that captures it. Yeah. I think I would weird only be scared of the clown in the rain with the makeup running if it also had an erection. <laughs> Ew. I think a firmly erect clown would be the only way that a clown could become terrifying. Otherwise, it's just a man in makeup. Really? So if the guy's holding a knife, you just go, hey, come on in, you look cold. But if, <laughs> if you had an erection, you'd be absolutely losing your shit. 
I'm on the other hand. <laughs> I'm thinking knife would yeah. do a bit more. Apparently, have a thing for clowns. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I don't. Know. I don't know why. I don't know. It's, it's a very common fear, and I actually think that mm. I've, I've never understood it. I've never. You know, you can trace it back to Harlequin and Arlecchino yeah. and all that stuff, all you like. Mm. But, I don't know, it, it seems to me to become one of those now very lazy tropes. Ah, stick clown makeup on him. Mm. I don't know. Isn't, isn't that the whole thing about the Joker now? Well, that works with the Joker, but I don't think it works Can they take his face away? Yeah. But, but then again, put it back. Then again you got the old uh, John Wayne Gacy face his off. clown. Uh, <laughs> Mr. What was it called? John better. <laughs> what was Mr. John Wayne Gacy's clown? Bobo? Yes. There you go. So, you know, Bobo. that's a bit different, though. Honey so. Bobo chart. No. Um, <laughs> oh, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I think that you've actually... Uh, childhood stuff. Yeah, childhood stuff. Stays with you. And I think that... Um, uh, you remember the old uh, Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds? Everybody knows that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We used to travel with my, my family, and my dad used to put that on when I was about fucking four years old. <laughs> oh, terrified. Absolutely you terrified. you about the movie? No, it was a rock opera. We had uh, that. that. It is terrifying. I love Terrifying that music, opera. terrifying narration. Yeah. That guy's voice, who is it? It was Burton, like, it, it was, wasn't it? Uh, That's Burton. what I thought. Yeah. And the, the book that came with it, with all those paintings. Yes. There was one particular painting uh, of like a streetscape of people running away from the machine. And there were three faces in there that were sort of up close. One of them was a little girl, one of them was a woman on a on a penny farthing. Is that what they were called? The bikes, yeah. And who was the third? I think it was the guy next to her. And their faces were just so freaked out I just used to stare at those. Yeah, yeah. And be freaked out, and I couldn't look at the pictures with the birds eating the red goat. Yeah. But that was freaking me out even more. To me, is that I I still can't easily listen to that. I would never listen to it by choice because of that right. tremendous fear that I had of it as, of a, as a child. Yeah. Um, Why well, I really like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 2, it helped me actually overcome <laughs> that because Mr. Hyde ate one of the bastard things. <laughs> and then compared it to Snosh. <laughs> Skywogs! <laughs> what? That's any costume! What the fuck? Because Hyde is unrestrained ego, so he's just completely oh, racist. Oh, no, I remember now. Oh, no. let's go. Oh, go. Hello, welcome to Earth. <laughs> oh, this is smashing. But, you know. Was like, that a horror comic book? Was that a horror comic book? Would no. You? Alan Moore. It had strong horror comics. He tends elements. to riff on horror a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then absurdist humor as Could well. He maps them very well. Like, are we, are we wrong even. Does that as well? Are we wrong yeah. even yeah. using the term even horror as a genre, though? Is it a genre? Like, is horror an actual genre, or is horror more of a thing contained within certain genres? Is, oh, is horror. I think it can be both. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to start a whole like if, debate. If, on if I say label, well, you could say drama and comedy. They they dramatic. Yeah. But I mean, if I say it's a horror movie, yeah. suddenly I'm comparing Think from Another World yeah, yeah. to exactly. Uh, you open the door. You know, Omen. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. you know all that stuff. Blood Beach. Where would Blood it go Beach. in the Video Easy? Horror movie I ever saw. Man. What, what shelf would it be on at Video Easy? <laughs> Quirky family fun now. <laughs> you can only have so many shelves in a video store. Which one would it go on? I suppose that's the thing. And I mean, there are a few movies where 
they may be on the horror shelf where I personally think they'd be better aligned to the comedy shelf. Yeah. yeah. So or the drama. Yeah. But I mean, so much genre is actually a marketing term rather yeah. than yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but but I do find myself buying input sometimes as well, but not necessarily intentionally, but you know buying into what? Genre. Genre. I mean, yeah, the it's label fine. of it's, genre. Yeah. It's useful. Yeah. I mean, it exists for a reason. If I mm. say today I want to read a fantasy novel, yeah. I can go to the fantasy novel section yeah. and read a fantasy novel. I don't have to go and then negotiate through: is it Jonathan Carroll? Is it KJ Bishop? Is it you know like Slipstream? Is it ah? Oh, I just want to read a dragon book. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the horror is very curious: is that in the in the in the 90s or the 80s? There was a horror section in bookstores. Yeah. Now there's a dark fantasy section in bookstores, uh, which was specifically uh, paranormal because romance. Oh, paranormal yeah, romance. The Jesus worst times. They all the same covers for all of them. Yeah. They all have a Twilight a cover. Yeah, because they're all trying to kid you that it is Twilight. Jeez. Oh, not just, the one that bugged me. The one that bugged me was when they started re-releasing Jane Austen novels with Twilight covers. That's yeah. when I started oh God, are losing. You yeah, no, I'm not. No. Bronte That's as well. No, that happened. That did happen. Where really? it is like a black cover. Trying to get the girl then, audience. Yes. The teenage girl. Because well, I think Bella talks audiences. about Jane Austen. Like she read it at school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they've tied it in. They've what? marketed it. Suddenly you well, get a whole bunch. Well, that was probably quite clever, but it's gross. Suddenly you get a whole bunch of teenage girls reading Jane Austen and not That's Twilight. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. saying it's not like Twilight, so I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they quite work. What the hell is this crap? Where's the naked boys? I don't know. I mean, like, it's not my business to tell teenage girls what to read, sadly. It's your new job. And I think that I think that so much time is wasted on on talking about Twilight. It's 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 nonsense. It's popular. It's pop music. It's the Spice Girls. It doesn't matter. It hasn't ruined vampires. It hasn't. No. Ruined werewolves. No. It hasn't done anything. Like it's just a cultural farce, really. It's created its own genre, and its own genre has its own audience, and it doesn't really involve any of us here at the table, I, or probably. Anyone. I can't really perceive any difference between Twilight and Buffy. Like okay, there's controversial statement. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Christian now walks away for a cigarette as we discuss. 